Well, some of you probably had this happen to you, but uh, I got up early this morning and I found out my house had been broken into. And um, I wasn't happy. I don't know if you've been through this. Now, it's not like we have diamonds and stuff laying around. I really wasn't all that worried about it. He could have taken my dog while he was asleep. Uh, but uh, I looked around, and the only thing they took... See, what I really have of value in my house is my, my coffee. My, my Ethiopian coffee, my Guatemalan coffee, my Costa Rican coffee, my Indonesian coffee. You know, I keep the best of the best of the best, because you never know what you're going to... They stole all my coffee. And so, fortunately, somebody gave me uh, some coffee when I came in today. But I just, I really can't get over it. I cannot get over it that somebody would break into my house and steal my coffee. How do they sleep at night? Let me throw that back there. All right, let me set the story up for you. Second Kings... 18 and 19 has the full story. And it's very long. It's a great story, but it's very long. It's several pages long about what I'm going to tell you today. And what takes several pages in 2 Kings, Isaiah says it in three verses. So we're going to look at Isaiah's version. But I'm going to fill it in for you. So the king of Assyria, his name is Sennacherib. And we've been talking about how deadly the Assyrian military is, how large it is, and how deadly they are. And so they have decided, uh, well, really, Israel has paid tribute. They've even stripped the gold off the temple. They've given everything they can give. There's nothing left to give except to surrender and be killed. They don't want to do that. And Hezekiah is the king of Israel. And he's inside begging the people to hang tough. Well, they have hung tough. Uh, The story gets pretty gruesome. Uh, In Jerusalem during the siege, people end up eating their own babies. They end up eating donkey heads. That's all there is left to eat. It it is a horrible thing. We even know from archaeology what some of their last meals were. All right, this is really kind of crazy. But what you eat... Well, it comes out. And archaeologists have learned that you can learn a lot by finding out what comes out the backside and literally have found that they were eating cowhide because that's all that was left to eat. They were starving the city systematically to death. And there's 285,000 or more soldiers surrounding Jerusalem. There is no chance left. Jerusalem during this time, just to give you perspective, okay? Jerusalem is about the size of our church property. Not much bigger than that. 50,000 or less lived in the city of Jerusalem. It literally is about 15 acres. That's what's left of mighty Jerusalem. Now, the crazy thing is this. We read about it in other sources. We read about it in the Bible. But the Assyrians gave us the best account. All right, I tell you, archaeology and history always back us up. So this is the prism, this is what they call it. This is the prism of Sennacherib. It's written in ancient Assyrian Sanskrit. So if any of you can read this, come on up and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll unpack this. But I'll tell you what it says. It says, Sennacherib went to this town in Israel, besieged it, destroyed it. Then he went to this town, besieged it, destroyed it. Then he went to this town, besieged it, destroyed it. And then it says he went to Jerusalem. 
That's all it says. Because he, he never destroyed it. They admit it. The Bible tells us the story. What happened? The story ends right there. Now, you know they want a victory. If you don't take Jerusalem, you have not gotten the victory. But even the Assyrian stone tells us, by the way, this happened in 701 B.C. So 2,700 years ago, they wrote this on a rock and were still able to read what happened because God's people are surrounded and have no options left. And when you get to that point, you find out how important your God really is. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. Just three verses. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up in the morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nishrach, his sons Adrimelech and Shazar cut him down with the sword. And they escaped to the land of Ararat, eastern Turkey. And Hereshadan, his son, succeeded him as king. You can be seated. Now you're saying, what in the world are you going to do with that? Okay. Your God matters. We live in a culture where we've been told that... Your God doesn't matter. No God matters. No God even exists. But certainly, if there's a God, one God's as good as another, right? That's what this is all about. As they come through conquering, they said, we've conquered all these other nations. They had their gods, we conquered them. They had their gods, we conquered them. All of your God coming through Judea, we destroyed all of them. Why would you think that your God is any different? Nobody is better than our God. Now, see, this isn't the first time. This is played out throughout history. You know the story in Egypt with the, with the ten plagues, that each one of those plagues was a God. And God was challenging the false gods. So we know that there is a God and we also know there are things that are called gods. Right? Are you with me? There, are, there is a God and there are things that are called God. That's where we're at in this story. Well, does it matter? Well, we live in a culture that is trying to blend it all together. Doesn't matter what religion, what God, what totem pole, any God, no God, it really doesn't matter. And then you've got the agnostics and the atheists. And, but I sort of expect nothing from them. But I do expect that we as Christians would be smart enough to know who our own God is. Let me take you through an exercise for those of you that might be struggling. Let's pretend... That this, this monitor up here, okay, uh, this, is, this is part of the stones of ancient uh, Jerusalem. But let's pretend that this monitor is everything that we know about the world. This is all the knowledge there is to know. Okay? This is every language that's ever been spoken. This is all history. This is all mathematics. This is everything there is to be known. And I said, now how much do you know? You say, well, I probably know, I probably know this much. Now, some of you are arrogant. You're like, I'm a lot smarter than most people. Okay, so I'll move you down here. Maybe you speak French. Okay, so I'll move you down to here. All right, so this is what you know. 
Is it possible that in all the rest that you don't know, that God could exist? Do you see the narrow-mindedness of people? When they say there's no God, I doubt there's a God. So you admit that 99% of the world, you don't have any clue what's going on out there, and yet you still can't find room for God. And yet Jesus comes roaring onto the scene, dies publicly, gives his blood for us, because, listen to me, your God matters. Buddha didn't come back from the dead. Joseph Smith didn't come back from the dead. The Muslim leaders didn't come back from the dead. Only Jesus came back from the dead, folks. That is what qualifies him to be God. And if you're sitting here today and you're going, I don't think it matters, and you don't understand the power of what Jesus did for you, the whole story of the resurrection is so that you and I can have confidence that there is a God above all gods, and that is the God that we worship. Would you agree with that? That, that, is, that is our message. Now, here's the problem. Maybe today, it doesn't matter which God you choose. You're like, listen, I've been worshiping a soda can for three years, and I'm doing fine. Okay? But the problem comes in a particular moment in your life. In this story, 185,000 men died instantly. They found out in a split second that the God you worship really does matter. Now, it doesn't always happen this dramatically. This is quite a story. Now, what's fun, if you want, to, you want some fun reading, go read about this and listen to people who sort of believe in the Bible try to explain this story. Well, it probably wasn't 185,000. They got the numbers wrong. It was probably like 5,000, maybe 500. No, the Hebrew number is exactly what it's supposed to be. And based on Assyrian data, we know how big their army was. So that's a cop-out. But my favorite is this one. We think it was mice. Mice got in, and now think about this. I don't care what kind of power you give to vermin. Uh, 185,000 men die in one night because of mice. I'm going to go with doubtful on that one. But it says the angel of the Lord. Most people believe this is Jesus. Now, you have this view, and a lot of people have this view. Well, how could an all-loving God send people to hell? Well, we've been through this. He doesn't. You choose hell or you choose heaven. They chose the wrong God. And in case you're thinking there's not a justice side to God, you just saw it here in this story. Jesus shows up that night, and 185,000 of them died. They found out at that moment which God you worship makes all the difference in the world. That's something to think about. Friday night, I lost a good friend, 58 years old. Scary. That's me. All right? That's my age. And uh, he was driving home from his granddaughter's birthday party, had a heart attack, died on the road. You don't know. He loved Jesus. Lee's celebrating with the Lord today, brokenhearted for his family. But it just reminded me, it matters who your God is when your moment comes, and you never know when that moment is. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, This is the day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that you may set, that I may set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you may live. I find this one of the most fascinating passages in Scripture. That after everything God had done for Israel, that Moses had to say to the people, Choose life. 
I set before you blessings and cursings. Choose to be blessed. No, no, I want the curses. I want death. Nobody says that. But you make that choice by the choices you don't make. By choosing not to accept Jesus. By choosing not to follow Jesus. By choosing not to serve Jesus. By choosing not to speak up. You know I'm heavily involved. We'll hit this one more time at the end. You know I'm heavily involved in this pro-life push to get, uh, to get the, the pro-life statement on the ballot so we can vote on it. And here's what amazes me. Is that 50% of the pastors I talk to... Do not believe in defending unborn life. And this is the comment that, this is the statement that I've made. If unborn children don't matter, then there's not much that matters to you. You do with that what you want. Choose life that it may go well with you. And then Joshua steps onto the scene. And Joshua says in 24.14, he says, you've got to choose today whom you're going to serve. The gods... On the other side of the river, or the Lord, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, there's always that choice between the God and the gods. All right, now let's move to the second part. This is the only church in America you're going to hear this in today, but you're going to hear it here. All right, our God is not a fish. Write that down. All right, this is deep stuff. Our God is not a fish. You're like, why... What are you talking about? Okay. Because again, it doesn't matter, right? If, if all gods are the same and we're all just worshiping whatever, it doesn't make any difference. Well, let me tell you who the Assyrians worship. They worship, it says in the text, you're following along. It says, after his army was destroyed, 185,000 of them. After the army was destroyed, it said, he went back to Nineveh, capital city of the Assyrians, and he went to his temple, and inside his temple was his god, Nishrak. Anybody know what Nishrak looks like? That is the fish god. Now, why is this important? Well, you may remember a story of a guy named Jonah, who was sent to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrians. And how did he get there? You know, God could have got him there a lot of different ways. But he ends up having Jonah swallowed by a giant fish. And Jonah dies inside that fish. Jesus quotes the story and says, As Jonah was inside the fish three days, so will the Son of Man be in the earth for three days. And it's a resurrection story, and it's about a fish. So when Jonah comes up out of that fish, goes to Nineveh, and begins to preach, what happens? 120,000 people repent in one day. The entire city repents. Largest revival in history. You move to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and you find out that the first people to accept Jesus Christ were the Assyrian people. They already knew this story about a guy that had been dead three days and came back from the dead. They already knew there was a God that trumped their God. So the fish is so important in this story historically. And I think you know that your God is not a fish. If you pulled a bass out of the pool over here, I don't think that you would say, this is my God. Now you drove your fish. 
and you live in your fish, and you drink and smoke your fish, no pun intended, but it's called idolatry. Anything that takes the place of the living God. You're like, well, how do I know if something's taken the place of the living God? Two simple things. Look at your checkbook. Look at your calendar. You'll find out who your God is. It won't take long. Where do I spend my money and where do I spend my time? And when you answer those two questions, you'll know who your God is. Now, you've got to figure out, am I going to keep worshiping the fish or am I going to turn and worship God? Listen, it could be anything. You may worship, when you look at your checkbook, I might, you may, you, my goodness, look here, I worship Taco Bell. You may find that out. I need to work on this. I, I seem to be worshiping alcohol. I seem to be worshiping uh, pornography. I seem to be worshiping my car payment. Because a lot, a lot of times the money that belongs to God, you're driving it around. That would, instead of giving God his money, you put it in a car payment. That would mean you made your car your God. Wow. Dang, the room got quiet. You guys still here? Yeah. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. That sort of implies there are other options, doesn't there? Not that they're real. Just that there are other options. Let's do a little science. Right, we try to do this every week. Uh, here's a picture of an iceberg. And I've told you guys for years some of my thoughts on this. Um, if you take a glass and fill it full of ice, and then you fill it all the way up to the top with water, and then you leave it on your counter overnight, the ice all melts. When you come back in the morning, will there be water all over your counter? Come on. Yes. No. The ice will melt, but your, and your cup will still be full, but it doesn't overflow. And yet I'm being told that when the iceberg melts, we're all going underwater. Do you guys understand what happens when an iceberg melts? Does anybody, anybody know the science on this? Me either. I just thought I would check and see if not. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's, it's the science of displacement, all right? It's, a, it, you, it's hydrology and it's physics. It, when, when, you, when you have ice, ice is more dense and it takes up less space. When ice melts and becomes water, it expands, but it fills exactly the same amount of space. Now, if I'm smart enough to know this, why aren't the scientists in our world? So when this iceberg melts... When it completely melts, it will not change the level of the oceans by a fraction of an inch. Because the ice displaces where the water will go. And you can prove it with a glass in your kitchen. And yet we're being told that how crazy we are because... But let me... So here's the deal. So people worship science... And I, this was funny. The other day I was watching a show and they came out and said, um, well, it turns out everything you said was wrong. And they said, well, that doesn't mean science was wrong. It just means we need to do more research. Okay. Try to do this one too. You know, we've talked about how it takes millions of years to create a fossil, right? I have a Nokia fossil for you. These are hard to find, uh, but uh, we'll bring that up. There we go. 
I don't know when cell phones started, maybe back in the 80s, 90s, I, I don't know and don't really care, but set completely fossilized. So it doesn't take millions of years, it takes the right amount of chemicals, the right amount of water, and you end up with this. So my God is not a fish. And the confrontation that took place between the living God and the fake gods. And sometimes you don't find this out until you face death or you face imminent situations with cancer or bankruptcy and you realize, you know what, that car can't save me. My house can't save me. My 401k cannot save me. I need a God who I can trust. That's the story of Hezekiah. This is where we get to the, to the money part. That we have a God who answers prayer. See, Sennacherib went home to Nineveh to pray. He goes into his temple and he kneels down to pray to his fish God. And two of his boys came in and killed him on the spot. Because the whole army's been destroyed. Hezekiah is sitting in Jerusalem and he put his hands out before God and he said, God, I got nothing. I got nothing left. We've got no money. We've got no plan. We've got no hope. We've got no military. Look at our people. They're eating their own children. God, what can you do? Anybody ever there? Some of you there now? Some of you watching online? You're there? You get to that point, you realize how important God is versus God's. Now, I do love the story in Daniel 3 where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace and it says, even, he says, our, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. He's still worthy of our praise. I love that passage. But this story reminds us that when everything is against us, Hezekiah's inside with a few, I don't know, let's say there's 35,000 people left, men, women, and children, and they're all incapacitated, sick, and dying. And there's a 200,000-man army outside. This is a 10-minute battle, and Jerusalem is over. And Hezekiah turns to God with nowhere else to go and says, God, are you ready for his prayer? Help us. You're thinking, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to connect with God. Help us. Remember when Peter was sinking in the Sea of Galilee? Real theological prayer. Help! Don't, don't think i got to find the right words. Just talk to God. Listen to God. Hezekiah pleaded with God. The angel of the Lord came that night, wiped out the enemy, and by the next morning, they're having a feast. Everything changed. Here's the problem. I can't tell you why sometimes God says yes and sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he says hang on. I can't tell you why my 58-year-old friend who loved Jesus and was a great father and, a, and a, a great husband and a great leader in the community. God, I could have given you a list of a thousand people that you could have taken out of here before you took my friend. And I wasn't in charge of that. My job is to pray so that God knows that we love him and that we trust what he's doing. John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. That's a tough one. It's a tough one. But he said, you put me 
first. That means you've got to decide that my God is more important than all the other gods that I've set up in my life. You've got to come to the conclusion that my God really cannot be a fish God. He can't be one of these crazy things that other people are worshiping. But the good news is that my God, because he's alive, because he came out of the grave on the third day, my God hears prayers. My God wants to talk to me. A friend of mine wrote these words this week, and people were giving him a hard time. They said, you don't really believe in miracles, do you? He goes, I don't believe in them. I count on them. That's how we live as Christians. Let me finish with this. Vince Anatucci said, it's when something starts to matter to you more than your life, that's when your life really starts to matter. So if you need Jesus, you're like, I'm not even sure what you're talking about, but I know I need something. You come right over here. Decision, there'll be folks there. If you're online, I have decided. You hit that button. Our folks will help you through the process. Just for prayer. Listen, I also get it. There's been times in my life when I've called friends and I said, you know what, i got no prayers left. Anybody? I, I have no prayers. I've got nothing left to give. And sometimes it's the big picture. Sometimes it's a small picture. Sometimes it's I've got no prayers left for I know they need to be prayed for, but i got nothing left for them. And I'm sure we've all been there. I'm not the only sinner in the room. But that's where other people step in and pray for you. And we bring your needs and your thoughts to the throne. We help you through those times. That's what our prayer team is all about. So let me remind you that sooner or later you find out that the God that you choose makes all the difference in the world. Father, I pray that as we finish today, with our hands high, we call out to you and ask for your help. We know we're surrounded. Even if things are going good, we're surrounded by a dark culture. We're surrounded by problems. We're surrounded by crazy people. We're surrounded by difficult marriages. We're surrounded by addictions. And yet we have a God who doesn't flinch in the face of of a 200,000-man army. So, Father, somebody that was about to give up, thinking this is going to be my last shot, let them have hope. Somebody's about to give up on their marriage, remind them it's not over. Give them hope. Lord, whatever stories you need to turn around today, I ask that you would do that. In Jesus' name.